Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I just wanted to give you a quick update on something before we get into the, the Bible today. We had the distinct honor, and, and many of you were able to come on out on Wednesday night. We had Pastor Sergei and his wife, Valentina, here all the way from Ukraine. And if you kind of remember, over the past eight months, we've been um, kind of partnering with Pastor Sergei and their church in Dnipro, Ukraine. We've given over $20,000 to be able to just help them as they have literally revamped their entire church into a refuge for refugees. Um, many people that are fleeing the, um, the east and trying to move west to get away from all of the, the fighting and the missiles and bombs and all that kind of stuff. Um, Dnipro is kind of in the middle of Ukraine, and this is where their church is, and they literally would take two rows of chairs, turn them um, in on each other, and create beds. Um, so their entire church and even their balcony is literally... Um, kind of a hostel, and they're feeding people three meals a day. Literally hundreds of people a day are coming through, and some are staying for a day or a week, but it's a waypoint as they're trying to make their way out. And so the sick, the hungry, the hurting, um, the, the malnourished, the dirty, all, all of those people are coming through. And so they had an opportunity. It was short notice, I know, but they came in, and they said they, like, they were in Texas. They were like, we could, we could come and visit. And so we are like, absolutely. So they came. They were able to be here for just a couple of days and, uh, and share a little bit of what God's doing, how they're ministering and praying, and they're do they literally had baptisms. We, we celebrated that about a month ago in the midst of bombing 60 miles away, 60 kilometers away, which is even closer. So, like, they're, they're literally just ministering to people in the midst of it. And so they're going back at the end of this month. Uh, Valentina has been working there as well. He sent her away to Germany, and she said, Germany's boring. So she's like, I want to come back. So she's been there with her husband uh, ministering to, to people in the midst of that war zone. Um, and so one of the things I want to put out there to you is, I was like, how can we help? What, what are the greatest needs right now? And he said, well, we're heading into winter, and we're like, we know winter. We understand winter. Well, winter's really cold in, in Russia as well, in Ukraine. And so... Uh, one of the things that they're wanting to do is to get some diesel generators because when the bombings do happen in their city, they're targeting the, you know, electrical and utilities and things like that to destabilize every city and, and village and all of that. And so they're wanting to be able to still be able to keep people warm, minister, cook, feed people in the midst of it. I said, how much are those things? What do they cost? And he says, well, we're looking to get five generators, five large ones and five small ones so that I can help out other churches and other refugee areas if and when they will need it this winter. He said, the, the large ones are $1,500 and the small ones are half that, $750. And he's wanting five large and five small. So I just, I just put that out to you because I know that like God starts to resource his kingdom in his own way. Um, Men's Morning Prayer, Appeal to Heaven, 5.30 this morning, um, has already said, we've got one of them. And so one of the large ones. So I just want to put that on, on, on your heart. If that connects with you, if your spirit kind of leaps towards that, then um, you can give, we, you know, just you can designate to um, Ukrainian Refugee Relief, or if you give on nlc.today, there's a drop-down menu that you can actually click on, Ukrainian Refugee Relief, and we'll make sure that it gets over there to be able to, to help, specifically to buy those generators to be able to keep people warm. Amen? Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you just for 
for your hearts. Man, you have, we've already gone above and beyond. I thank you so much for just your generosity towards people you probably will never meet, maybe in heaven. Amen? Um, well, listen, we are in a sermon series going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We just started this past week. I love going through a book of the Bible together. I love topical sermon series, but we've been talking about offense for about six weeks. But the thing I love about going through a book is that we're confronted with issues with scriptures that we wouldn't necessarily preach on or we, we kind of like to just skirt around. Um, and we talk about the whole plenary of scripture rather than just pick a verse out of the air to apply it to our current situation. So as we get into this, I want to again remind you, like I did last week, that we are not reading a book. We are not reading a theological essay. This is literally someone else's mail. Uh, we're kind of reading one, we're listening to one side of a phone conversation, and um, there's obviously back and forth. This is one of three, if not four, letters that Paul wrote to this church in Corinth. And uh, he's addressing concerns of which we're not quite sure what they are. And he's also addressing questions, answering questions of which we're kind of, we can only infer really through the context clues. We're realizing that like we didn't get the other letter or the other communication that was sent to him. He's replying to it. And so what you're going to find as we go through 1 Corinthians is that this letter written to a foreign city like 2,000 years ago is so relevant to us today. It's, it's actually staggering. And in case you missed it last week, we talked about divisions in the church. Um, I don't know if you've ever, that, that still happens today. Um, cliques in the church, celebrity pastors, which you like, I thought that was a new thing. No, that's been going on for, for quite a long time. Um, and so today we're gonna start in 1 Corinthians chapter two. Uh, if you wouldn't mind standing with me, we're going to read, uh, actually, we're going to read the entirety of chapter 2. It's only 16 verses. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the topic. This is the topic. The topic is this, what it means to be spiritual. What does it mean to be spiritual? Verse 1. And so it is with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirits within them? 
In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. That is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such, a, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Lord, I thank you that you use this old letter to people we've never met to just remind us what it means to be spiritual. Thank you for this reminder. I thank you, even though it's unnerving and a bit uh, anxiety-filled, Lord, I thank you that you just continually remind us who we are in you and remind us to live up to what we've already attained. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, you can be seated. So, it took me all week. I was like, I don't know if you realize this, but like, so I'm studying and preparing and stuff, and like I love going through a book of the Bible, but also, like I said, we were confronted with, with, with Scripture that like we wouldn't necessarily like preach on, dwell on, read about. So I'm like spent all week reading chapter two, and I'm like all week long, I'm like, Lord, what are you saying? Like, I don't know if you've been there. Like, and, you're, and you're probably like, Justin, just move over. I could preach this. This is awesome stuff. For me, I'm like, ah, what is going on? Um, and I think what I love about this, so first thing I want you to realize this is that like Paul uses the word spirit 14 times in 16 verses. 14 times in 16 verses because he's reminding the church in Corinth, the followers of Jesus, what it means to be spiritual. Now, I want us to just think about that question for a moment. How do you measure spirituality? What does it mean to be spiritual? If I were to ask every single person in here, and I was sitting down at Taco Bell, like, what does it mean to be spiritual? How do you measure it? We would have answers all across the board and all over the place, and all kinds of things would come to mind. For instance, you might define being spiritual with things that somebody does. Like, okay, Somebody's spiritual because, well, they, they pray real good in public. Uh, they read their Bible a lot. They, um, they serve a lot. We see them serving. They, they go to church every week. They're really spiritual. Maybe they lead a ministry that's spiritual. They're able to teach so they, so they actually know and understand the word of God. That, that's, that's spiritual. Maybe they have a spiritual gift that you find captivating. So you're like, man, that person is so spiritual. Maybe they're really deep. And they, when they talk about God, you're just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You are so spiritual, <laughs> right? You, you know, like there's something, we all have somebody in our mind that we're like, yeah, that person's spiritual. Like this is how we, we define it, by what they do. Other people might define person that is spiritual by the things that they don't do. Like, well, a person that is spiritual or they, uh, they don't smoke, they 
They don't drink. They, they don't do drugs. They, a person that is spiritual doesn't swear. A person that is spiritual um, doesn't gossip. A person that is spiritual doesn't have sex outside of marriage. A person like that, the person that is spiritual is like they're so spiritual by the things that they, that they don't do. And Paul, here in chapter 2 specifically, is going to come in and offend every definition that we have of what it means to be spiritual. He is, he is literally coming in to break every religious bone in your body because he snaps the stick that we so often measure what it means to be spiritual by. Now, while it's good to do good things and, and, and bad to do bad things, I get that, but they don't make you spiritual. At best, they make you religious. And this is Paul's maddening point to the church in Corinth. And if you choose to apply it to yourself, it absolutely breaks every spirit, every religious bone in your body. Because Paul defines being spiritual with this, essentially. I'll put it into words for you. He defines being spiritual by being filled with, being led by, and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's how he defines being spiritual. It's like Paul has this idea that being spiritual is this living, active relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that's really hard to measure. Like, that, that's, like we don't have a measuring stick or the list of do's and don'ts. And, and religion has a really hard time saying, well, I just don't know what to do with that. And it's unnerving. And it's a bit like, okay, but how do you quantify that, Pastor Justin? Like, I, I get it. I get it. It's really hard to measure. That being spiritual isn't about necessarily the things that you do or that you don't do. It's actually a miracle. It's a miracle of what God does in you and wants to work through you. If I go back all the way back, like when I first came to Christ, if I'm going to be very honest, like part of what drew me to Jesus in the very beginning when I was like eighth grade, part of what drew me to him is that I had seen a whole lot of religion and I called it spirituality. Like I saw a lot of devout people doing a lot of devout things and I called them, oh, that, that person is so spiritual. And then I met a woman who was my youth leader that showed me what being spiritual really looked like. That it was like this living, active relationship with the Holy Spirit. I was like, I want that. Like, I've seen religion and called it spiritual, but like, if this is real, if this, if this is what is truly available to people who, who call Jesus their Lord and your, like, I want, I want a taste of some of that, if that's real. And Paul comes in and he's essentially chastising the Corinthian church, the, the believers in Jesus. He's saying, essentially, rather than being filled with, being led by, and being empowered by the Holy Spirit, they're trying to be spiritual without depending on the Holy Spirit. Let me say that one more time. They're trying to be spiritual without depending on the Holy Spirit. And I think to myself, how often do I try to do that? 
How often do I just try to like, well, it's not about this living act of relationship. It's about like, I got to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to be better. I need to do better. I need to, I need to study more. I need to, I need to know more. I need to understand more. And how often do we try to be spiritual without the Holy Spirit? Because if we're going to define spirituality these days, my goodness, this is all over the place. I mean, you can play around with crystals and rocks and call it spiritual. Like you can, you can do, oh, you can believe in all kinds of things and be like, man, that person's so spiritual. You could do deep, deep bends and yoga and be like, that person is so spiritual. But I just want you to understand, like Paul comes writing, he's like, that's a bunch of hogwash. It, you, you can't be spiritual without depending on the Holy Spirit. He defines spirituality in completely different terms. And the first thing that I love he talks about, he talks about how hard it, he had to learn to be spiritual as a preacher. And he, and he goes on in verse 3. He says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. He's talking about when he came to visit them. And we don't necessarily know all the, all the details of all of this because, again, it's this back-and-forth letter-writing thing that's happening. But he's like, I came to you with great fear and trembling. In verse 4, he says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now, allow me to be honest with you today. Let me bring you into... The, the, the world of a pastor-preacher every week. I get up here and I preach every week. And I don't, like, when, after, when I say amen, I don't get beamed up to heaven and then come back down next week. I literally, like, Monday comes for me, too. I, I have family and kids and, and a wife. Like, I, I have life as well as every, every single one of you. Like, and every time I get up to preach, I get nervous. Like right now, I have butterflies in my stomach. And you're like, but you've been doing this forever. Like you, you appear to be so like calm, cool, and collected. I pray that that never changes. That, I, that when I handle the word of God, when, I'm, when, I, when I preach the word of God, that there is like this weightiness of ministering and communicating God's word. I hope that that never changes. But here is what's maddening about what I've, what I've experienced over the past, like, six years. There are Sundays where uh, I'm, like, working on my sermon, and it's like butter, baby. Like, I'm like, this is going to be off the hook. This is going to be amazing. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, Monday comes, I'm studying. It's just like, I'm just writing. This is brilliant. This is awesome. And in my head, man, there are hankies waving. Like, y'all, I don't know where the hankies are coming from, but you got hankies all of a sudden. In my, in my, in my dream, like, you guys are like amening, and I'm like, all right, everyone settle down so I can continue, right? Please, 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 shh, quiet, quiet. Ma'am, please, stop. In my mind, y'all get saved just because, again. Like, you're just like, this is so good, I want it again. I'm going to get saved again because I want it. Thank you for that. I see that hanky. And, and I will tell you, I'd like, this is the maddening part. Like, without fail, it is like dead. I feel like the words literally like spill off the edge of the stage and go nowhere. And I'm like, that is not what I expected. This is not how I... And then on the other side of things, um, there are times where I come up and I am so like, feel like underprepared and I mean, like, even like last week, I was like, I, I mean, my, my prayer as I walk up on, onto the platform is Jesus, take the wheel. 
Like, <laughs> I, I got nothing. I, I don't know where this is. If, if anything I have to say is going to go anywhere or touch any, any heart. And then the anointing of God takes my weakness and empowers it. And I'll tell you the maddening thing is that like, I'll go in the corner and people will be like, Pastor Justin, that's the best sermon you've ever preached. And I'm like, I want to kill you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, thank you. But that is this, this. Now here's my point. This doesn't negate study. It doesn't negate preparation. It's not saying, well, Pastor Justin, obviously what you should have learned from that is you just need to like go in and be like, what are we going to preach on today? And then just pick and start preaching. Let the Holy Spirit move. Like, I'm not saying that like, it's not important, the work and the study and the, re like the, the preparation that goes into it. What it means is this, at the end of the day, I am utterly dependent on the anointing of the Spirit of God. Utterly dependent. And if I don't have it, it is a really weird TED Talk. That's, that's, the, that's the maddening beauty of ministering, preaching, and teaching the Word of God. Paul describes it a little bit differently in 2 Corinthians, the second letter, or third, depending on how you're counting. 12.9 says this, But Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. When we are aware of our weaknesses, we depend on the Spirit's power. When we are aware of our weaknesses, we depend on the Spirit's power. And what I find is that we all want God to use our strengths but oftentimes we forget that he seems to prefer to use our weaknesses. Yeah. And I think it's because we can't get the glory. He does. And it's this thing that, that we learn and keep learning and God continually reminds us of day in and day out, day in and day out. He continues in verse 4. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And this kind of goes back to what he was talking about in the first chapter. He's talking about celebrity preachers and like putting a, a, a pastor or a preacher or a communicator on, on a pedestal. When you come, and this is this more of just like us as the church, when you come to, to church expecting a great preacher or an excellent sermon, you may just get that. Great sermon, pastor. Awesome. But, but when you come expecting to encounter the presence of God, God can speak through a stuttering donkey and you're going to be blessed by it. Like you're going to, I mean, my goodness, I came with an expectation, not just for a good sermon. I came with an expectation to encounter the very presence of God with the people of God. I, I, I come with the expectation that, that the miracle, the miracle of God, Christ in me, the hope of glory, Christ in you, the hope of the glory, and the combustion of the activation of the community of, of, of believers worshiping together, that that miracle is going to happen again, and I can't wait to experience it. When you come with that expectation, you don't leave with, oh, that was a good, that was a good message. 
you leave with this utter reality, like, I am so dependent on this. I can't do this thing without it. That is the beauty of the power of the presence of God in your life. Because when you rely on your own talent, you get a talent show. And when you rely on the, on the spirit of God, God can take your talent and he can empower it and he can anoint it. And he can do things that you, you could never have done on your own. Never have done on your own. And it's a demonstration of the spirit's power. This is what Paul talks about. And he says this in verse 2, and it kind of blows me away because we know that Paul was a learned man. Man, I mean, he wrote most of our New Testament. Like, he knew what he was talking about, please. And he says this in verse 2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What? It was like, the, it was like his message. It was what he preached every Sunday. Can I just remind you, and I know we're really transient here in our current culture today, right? If you go to a church and people don't talk about, teach about, and point you to Jesus, that's not a church you should be at. I'm just, I'm just going to put that out there for you. If you, you go to this church and we stop talking about, teaching about, and pointing people to Jesus, stop coming. I, please. We, we're off the rails. People ask me, they're like, well, what are you going to preach on this week? And I'm like, oh, probably Jesus. <laughs> Church, it's the only message I have. It's, the, it's, it's my gig. It's the only thing I got. It's like, wow, but aren't there other things you could preach on? And well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that we talk about. Like, well, I could talk about marriage, but my point is you both need Jesus. Right. <laughs> Because if you don't have Jesus, you're going to tear each other apart. We could talk about parenting, and absolutely we should talk about parenting, but the point is that you need the wisdom of Jesus in order to parent your child. And you need to depend on the Holy Spirit in order to parent the kid that God has entrusted you with. Amen? Or we could talk about end times. The point is, hey, you need Jesus. Whether it's post-trip, pre-trip, mid-trip, whatever's going to happen, the point is this, get with Jesus, quick. It's in your best interest, right? It's the only gig we got. It's the only thing I'm talking about here. Every single week. And Paul is, and will continue to say, and we said this last week, all throughout this whole book, this whole letter, he's going to keep coming back to this point. And it is this, that the gospel is the cure no matter the sickness. The gospel is the cure no matter the sickness. So, church, listen to sermons. Come to church, get connected, stay accountable to leaders, have brothers and sisters in arms, follow godly examples, flee from sin, but never forget it's all about Jesus. And when it is about Jesus, then, then Paul talks about this, Jesus talks about this, that the Holy Spirit is present in your midst. And you need to be filled with, to be led by, and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. My point is this, you aren't spiritual without the Holy Spirit. So, be spiritual. Be spiritual. And I love this because he starts spelling out in no uncertain terms what it looks like for the Spirit-filled life. 
all of chapter two, he's talking about the spirit this, the spirit that, the spirit this. And to be honest, it's a bit unnerving. It's a bit like, I don't quite know what, this, what to do with this. Uh, it feels like there's kind of a lot of plurality of, and we're, we're putting the, the onus on individual people and to hear from God. It's, it's a little scary. He says this in verse 14. Let me outline a few things that the Holy Spirit does to empower you. It says, the, spirit, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The point is this. The Holy Spirit will teach you spiritual realities that are hard to accept. Man, this, is, uh, this is like so monumental in our current culture. I'm going to say it one more time because the ramifications of it are staggering. The Holy Spirit will teach you spiritual realities that are hard for you to accept. In other words, the Holy Spirit will change your mind. I hope that the Holy Spirit has changed your mind recently. Did you ever notice that it's really hard to try to convince non-Christians about biblical truths? It's so weird when you start talking about like gender identity and abortion and things, all these different things, and, the, and, and, and you talk to somebody who doesn't have the Spirit of God who isn't a Christian, and it's, and it's odd. They, they, don't, they don't get it. And you could talk to your blue, I mean, you're preparing. I know you got your treatise because Thanksgiving dinner is coming, and you just, you got all those, those nieces and nephews, they're going to be there, and they're going to hear it, right? And it, and it always turns into a fight. It always just like, oh, yeah, shut, 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 shut up, shut up, right? It's so weird that, that people who don't have the Spirit of God don't understand the things of the Spirit. And I often wonder why Christians try to hold non-Christians to Christian morals. It's weird, to be honest with you guys. It's weird for Christians to think that non-Christians are going to legislate Christian morals. It is. Like, Paul would, he pretty much just says it right there. He's like, uh, pretty much you can only understand what it is that the Spirit is communicating in spiritual truths through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul is reminding the Corinthians, stop trying to make sinners stop sinning. Right. Stop trying to, they, they don't need behavior modification. They don't need to change into your political party. They need Jesus. That is the beauty of this message. It is the beauty of Paul. Well, what, what about people that are gay? Well, they need Jesus. Well, what about people that are straight? You need Jesus too. Well, what about people that are black? Well, they need Jesus. White people need Jesus too. Did you know that, I said this last week, did you know that conservatives need Jesus? Just as much as liberals need Jesus. Well, I think that they need it a little bit more. No, they need it just as much. Like, you're not saved by your political leanings. I just want you to remember, it is all about Jesus. That good people need Jesus just as much as bad people need Jesus. You need Jesus. And Paul is reminding the Corinthian church, he's like, I didn't come to try to convince bad people to be better. I didn't come with eloquent speech trying to manipulate people to change their minds about things. I came with one message. Y'all need Jesus. All y'all. All yunzes need Jesus is pretty much what he was saying in the southern vernacular. Yunzes need Jesus. All y'all need Jesus. Faith in the gospel is the cure no matter the sickness. And he keeps 
harping on it to the point that it gets awkward. He says this in John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus, this is the words of Jesus. He says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. Now, if Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth, church, you should expect for him to change your mind and your opinions about things that you have long held to be true. I'm just saying, if, if you've come to Jesus and you haven't changed your mind about anything, there's a problem. Because if, if you were right before you needed Jesus, there's something wrong. He will come to guide you into all truth, change your mind and your opinions to match the mind and the will of God. Because when you came into this world, you came into this world with worldly wisdom. You've been taught worldly wisdom, whether you went to public school or you were homeschooled. I'm just gonna be honest with you. You were taught worldly wisdom. But now that you are spiritual, now that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you, it says the Holy Spirit will teach you spiritual realities that you never would have accepted before. It would change your mind. Think about this. Think about things like tithing. It's stupid. We give money away to who, to what, to where? Forgiving people who don't deserve, are you kidding me? Why would I ever want to do that? Servant leadership, like I'm going to come under when I should be trying to lord it over. That's how you make money and how you climb this, the ladder. Like this doesn't make sense. Spiritual or sexual morality, like that doesn't make any sense. Just you do you and have fun. And if it feels good, then do it. Like why, why in the world would I want to change my mind? On the, none of those make sense to the world. They don't. But when the Holy Spirit guides you into all spiritual truth, it may not make sense to the world. And quite honestly, you probably still don't understand it. But you know that you know that you know in your knower that it's true. Have there ever been things that God has convicted you of or, or, or led you into a truth? You still don't understand it. It still doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you. But you're like, man, but I know that 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 I know in my knower that it's true. And so you try to convince me otherwise. And I'm like, hmm. The Holy Spirit has revealed this to me. He goes on in verse 12. He says, What we've received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Here's my point. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you your great inheritance in God. The Holy Spirit helps you to fully grasp what you've already received. So please, don't settle for anything less. Don't settle for religion. Allow God to help you to fully grasp what you've already received, your great inheritance that you now hold, the miracle not of just you believing in Jesus and maybe your sins are forgiven in the sweet by and by, but I'm just saying, the, the, the true power and authority that, that rests on the inside of you as a carrier of the presence of God, as the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of you. Don't settle for anything less is what Paul would say to the Corinthian church over and over and over again. And he tries to explain it in words that are really poetic. He says this in verse nine. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has ever conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him.
And we read this verse a lot at funerals because we think that it talks about heaven. Man, when no eye has seen, when no ear has heard, the things that God has prepared for us when we die, all those things, right? We read it as funerals. But, and we stop at verse 9. Can I just encourage you, don't stop at verse 9. Go on to verse 10. Because everything for Paul revolves around verse 10. He says this, These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. What things? What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived. These are the things that the Holy Spirit reveals to us by his spirit. And church, you carry the spirit of God with you and in you. Amen? Amen. I'm telling you, it is the way that Paul, the way that God measures spirituality is completely different than us. And it's completely freeing when we finally come to the reality that we just have to live to what we've already attained. My fear is this, that many Christians believe that the, that the Trinity, we talk about the doctrine of the Trinity, is the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. And we're okay with the Bible being inspired by the Holy Spirit. But uh, I think that we only scratch but the surface of what the Spirit-filled life was intended to be what it should look like, what it could look like. And God wants you to walk in the spirit that he has filled you with to bring hope that the world has never seen into a world that is desperate for the true power of God in their life. They're desperate for it. And they're looking for it everywhere, everywhere. And they're finding glimpses and shadows of it and different things and the occult and all these other things what would happen if the church of Jesus Christ rose up to realize what they currently have already attained through the blood-bought purchase of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that dwells in them? What if they began to walk in the Spirit-filled life that is already available to them and brought hope and power into a hurting, dying, crying world? What, what would that do to change the world? He goes on in, in verse 14, you know, read it again. He says, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned, catch this, because they are discerned only through the spirit. Here's my point. The Holy Spirit will give you discernment because you have, church, the mind of Christ. If you are in Christ, you have discernment. Did you know that? Hebrews 5 verse 14 says this, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The writer of Hebrews essentially is describing discernment in a way almost like a muscle that you have to work out, that you have to train. It's almost like a spiritual sense that helps you make decisions in life, spiritual discernment. Kind of like this, like you, no matter where you're at, if you've, if you've come to Jesus at all, you, you'll understand this. Like, have you ever come to this place where um, you walk into a room, walk into a situation, walk into a conversation, and something is just off spiritually? Mm -hmm. Where you're just like, man. 
And, and maybe you're, you're new, you know, new, new in Christ, or maybe you've been in this thing for a long time, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Like when you walk into a place and you're just like, man, something's off. Like I'm just not, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I just, I'm just not feeling like, like, like this is, like God's in this right now. And then in the same way, have you ever felt like, like when something's being communicated or something, like the Holy Spirit is like leaping on the inside of you? And you're just like, you're just responding to it. Like maybe, like, let me just give you, like, like when I was talking about Ukraine, all of a sudden you're like, I, I never really cared about much about Ukraine, the war going on there, but all of a sudden God just like, shh, like starts to burn something in your heart that you never had before. And he's like, I, I want you to start praying. I want you, I want you that, I, I want what's on my heart to be on your heart. Like that is spiritual discernment. And as we look at the life of Jesus, I think because he's a, a great example of theology, right? It says that when Jesus would go and minister to someone, we've talked about this before, that, that he was filled with compassion, and then he would go lay hands on that sick person. He was filled with compassion, and he would go and raise the dead. He was filled with compassion, would go do something. I would say and argue that that was and looks a whole lot like what discernment looks and feels like in the life of a believer. The, our Father, our Heavenly Father, will highlight someone. The Holy Spirit will highlight someone into our lives where we're like, I, you're supposed to go reach out to that person. You're supposed to go pray for that person. You're supposed to go love on that person. You're like, but, but I'm not at church. I'm, I'm at the grocery store. And he's like, I, I, I don't know the difference. <laughs> you're like, well, one's a holy place and one's not. And he's like, again, I, I don't understand. Like, you, you carry me everywhere you go. What, what makes this place holier than, than Hannaford? He's like, I, I'm calling you to go. You're the sent out ones. I, I'm calling you, highlighting someone to you. I think this is like our spiritual discernment. And then there are other times where we look at Jesus where when he, Peter says, no, I'll, I'll never let anything happen to you. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. I would say that that's like discernment too. Not that he was like calling Peter Satan. I think that Jesus was discerning that even though what Peter was saying sounded good, it was not the will of God. And there are times and seasons in your life where something may sound good, but you're like, mm-mm, mm-mm, nope. Like something's off. Listen to that. Like the Holy Spirit wants to begin you to use that muscle on the inside of you to begin to have discernment, not just for the good things, but also for the bad things. It works in both ways. It's kind of like a spiritual internal compass that you kind of know which way to walk. No, I'm not supposed to go through that door. I'm supposed to hold back. Yep, I'm supposed to run headlong into that. This internal compass, it helps you grow and to understand the mind and the will of God. And it's messy. And the Apostle Paul is essentially like, he, he had to hear from God every step that he went. He went into a new city, and, and then he'd, and he'd leave. And then he's, he, okay, I'm supposed to go, I'm supposed to leave, I'm supposed to stay. And essentially, he's describing for the church in Corinth his experience with the Holy Spirit. And he's like, I'm encouraging you, Corinthian church, followers of Jesus, blood-bought saints of Christ filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm encouraging you, seek that out. Because it's not just for holy people like the Apostle Paul. Like, this thing that is, that is actually available in the life of every believer, walk in what you've already attained not because of what you've done or not done, but because of what God's done in you, the miraculous experience of the power of the Holy Spirit. So church, be spiritual. Stop being religious. Be spiritual. Did you know that not every decision that you make has a chapter and verse that goes along with it? <laughs> you, you may be like, yeah, I wish there was, right? 
I wish I could just land like, oh, what am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to marry? Awesome. Okay, great. There's, there are so many decisions. What school am I supposed to go to? Who am I supposed to date? Who am I supposed to get married to? Should I make this investment? Should I hold off? Should I buy this home? Should I not? Like, there are so many times where, yes, you should depend on wise, godly counsel, but you should also then also depend on discernment. Holy Spirit, what, what are you telling me to do? How are you telling me to spend my money? How you, who should I be tying myself to? Holy Spirit, should I make this investment? Holy Spirit, should I buy this? Should I hold back? Because you will never grow in what you don't exercise. And this is what Paul is reminding the church in so many words. And he quotes for them verse 40, in Isaiah, or chapter 40 of Isaiah. In, in Isaiah 40, he says this in verse 16. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? In other words, who can know the mind of the Lord? And that, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 40, that's kind of the heartbeat that Isaiah wrote that in, in the Old Testament, because he was under the Old Covenant. So he's like, who could know? Who could know the mind of God? I mean, nobody, it's essentially insinuating, like nobody knows the mind of God. Only God knows the mind of God. Like, who could know that? Well, I just want you to know, Paul answers that question that Isaiah asked in, the, in Isaiah chapter 40. He literally says this, but we have the mind of Christ. Who can know the mind of the Lord? You can. What? You who are in Christ. You who are filled with the very Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, you who God has chosen to put his super on your natural, you have the mind of Christ. And you're like, I don't know. You don't know what I did last night. I'm just telling you, you may not have listened to it, but you have the mind of Christ. And that's crazy. That's insane. If you told Isaiah that, he'd be like, I'm not so sure. That's unnerving. It's exciting. What? So let me recap for you what Paul says to the church in Corinth. He is saying, the Holy Spirit that is in you wants to change your mind, wants to teach you things, wants to guide you, wants to reveal your identity and your destiny to you, wants to give you discernment to make decisions, and empower you through the anointing. So can I encourage you, church, in the same way? Don't settle for religion. Amen. Don't settle for being spiritual without depending on the Holy Spirit. Amen. God has equipped you. So, be spiritual. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Be spiritual. <laughs> How many of you in here are married? Just raise your hand. If you are, your spouse is, you should probably raise yours too. It's awkward. I, I'm not trying to cause a fight, all right? Um, here's the thing, if you're, if you're married, you were joined together on your wedding day. When you said, I do, you, you became married. You signed the paper and other witnesses saw you, you do it and you're, you're married, right? Now, many of you know that getting married is one thing, and marriage 
is what happens every day after that. Look, getting married is quite possibly the easiest thing that you've done, right? Like, I mean, yeah, you just go, you have a big party, and you say, I do, and where do I sign? Oh, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> okay, this is cool. And then, and then Monday hits. And, and here's, here's marriage. In another, there are times in your marriage where you are close and intimate, and it's like, man, this is like what it's supposed to be like. You finish each other's sandwiches and sandwiches, and like it's just awesome, right? And then other times, it can feel like you're like roommates, and not even good ones. Like it's just, you're bickering, and like you're like ships passing in the night. You haven't been intimate in weeks, months. Like now, here's the thing: you're still married. You're still you're just not experiencing the relationship that marriage was intended to be like. That's, that's just what it comes down to. And it's kind of, I think it's kind of like that with the Holy Spirit. I think it's kind of like that with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a ghost. He's a person. He's the third person of the Trinity, which means that you weren't meant to just sign a paper and say, I do, and move on. Like, it was meant to be a miraculous, adventurous beginning of a relationship. So much bigger than maybe what we scratched the surface of. That you, church, were meant to be filled with, led by, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the beauty of what Christ has made possible for us. The beginning of something great. I just want to encourage you, like, if you've Maybe you've been in this place, you're like, you've been saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. I wanna invite you to continue to grow in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so many times we talk about like, well, I just wanna get filled or refilled with the Holy Spirit and filled, refilled with the Holy Spirit. That's like saying, I wanna get married and remarried again. And I wanna like renew my vows all over again. And like, like that's gonna change something. Your status doesn't change. You just get essentially re-engaged with the relationship that the Holy Spirit has in your life renewing your mind, not allowing yourself to just simply act spiritual without depending on the Holy Spirit. You don't act married without being married to your spouse. Your spouse is what makes you married. So I just want to encourage you as we head into this, uh, um, and if maybe, you, maybe you're in this place where like you've never received Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. And so in essence, you you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you. And so maybe some of this makes sense and some of this doesn't. My hope and my prayer is that it whets your appetite like it did for me when I was in eighth grade to say, I want some of that. I really don't want more religion because I watch that religion crap and it just, ugh. I don't, why would I want more of that? It's demeaning, it's condemning, and it's full of lists and rules and really? I want what Paul talks about. I want that living relationship where I'm filled with, led by, and powered by God, but I, I want that. If that's where you're at right now, I just want to, I want to, I want to have an opportunity to pray with you right now. If you've never come to Jesus and you're like, if this is true and it sounds crazy, I get it. 
that I wanted. Essentially, you got nothing to lose except for your religion. And so I just want to encourage you, if that's where you're at today, just between you and your heavenly father, I just want to lead you in a prayer today that you just make your own. And you can say it with me. You can say it in your own words or you can just say with me. Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus. Because while I was still yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And so Jesus, I repent for all my sins, of which there are many. And I ask that you would forgive me what I don't deserve. And I pray for that divine exchange where the Holy Spirit would come, fill me, lead me, and empower me to be all that I'm supposed to be because I know I can't do it without him. And I don't want to be spiritual without this. So fill me, Lord, overflowing in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for those that made that, that prayer right now that it was real on the inside of them. Lord, I pray that you would confirm it. I pray you'd begin to speak to them as they read their Bible, as they pray, that you would begin to just be a living, vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit in their own life. I pray you change their mind and reveal things to them, teach them things that they didn't even want to accept and things that they long held beliefs would be thrown out the door and adopted what you say in your mind and your will over their life. They need Jesus. Thank you for that. As we, as we worship him today, God, I just pray right now, maybe you just lift up your hands. All of you just say, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I, I just renew my relationship with you, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would, you just take off the blinders where I've allowed religion to settle. And I pray that you would have your way in me. Let's worship him today.